Today is uh, Tuesday, the 20th of April, 2001. And this training of the heart is something that bears immense importance. Because if we don't train our minds, then they won't have much energy to them. And in that state of lacking energy, they'll just be running after all of the experiences that they have constantly, all of these sense impressions which come into the heart. But these sense impressions, they don't do any damage to the mind, however. And if our minds have knowledge, they are, they'll be able to see that these sense impressions are just that, merely sense impressions, things that have the nature to arise, persist for a bit, and then pass. And this is true as well for all of the proliferation or the thoughts that arise within the mind. These are dhammas, these are phenomena which occur within the mind. And if we have mindfulness there, then we'll be able to have knowledge of their arising and ceasing as they do so. Because these things are of the nature to arise and cease. They always have been. But when we don't go and train our minds, then they will attach to these things. And this then becomes the cause for suffering to arise. So the things that we experience that we like, then the mind becomes deluded in those. The things we don't like, the mind also becomes deluded. And it goes on in this way. Each life, getting born and then dying, born and then dying, and countless uh, becomings, um, planes of existences and lives. Until we eventually come to study and get to know about the training of this mind. An example that we could give is of taking care of a cow. And if we just let the cow do whatever it wants, um, then it will go straight to the fields, to a rice paddy, and will eat all of the rice grains there because that rice is the food of the cow. And so if there's no one there looking after it, and then it just goes and eats, um, goes and does whatever it wishes to. But if there is someone, if there's a child, for instance, who is in charge of taking care of that cow, and it uh, puts a post into the ground and ties the cow up to that post, then it can't go and destroy the field. It can't uh, bring about much waste. And so it's similar to the mind that needs the one who knows, this knowing awareness there teaching it. Because these sense impressions, they are the food of the heart. And when we become aware of these already, then we need to teach our minds so they don't run after them and attach to them. But when they have arisen already and the mind has attached already, then we need to have mindfulness there as well, knowing that the mind has attached. It has gone and latched on to these forms, to sounds, to smells, uh, to taste, tactile sensations, and thoughts, and emotions. So we have mindfulness, knowing in this way. And even though the mind may still get lost and deluded, it won't be too deluded, because we have this firm intention to be training our minds, to be teaching our minds. 
And if our samadhi is quite good, then sometimes we will know these sense impressions as they come up. We'll be on top of them. And seeing that the sense impression is just that, just a sense impression, the mind is merely a mind. And we see in this way, see the Dhamma with wisdom. And so if we have a meditation word, such as Buddha, Dhamma, uh, Zango, or we're chanting, and this brings the mind to a state of stillness. And we can also use anatta as a barikama, as a meditation word as well, to bring the mind to stillness. And in bringing the mind to stillness, what we're doing is suppressing the defilements. They're still there, but they are dormant, they're inactive. And so this is bringing the mind to peace. And it gains distance from these defilements temporarily, but there isn't a deep understanding into their nature, into what causes suffering to arise, that this cause is attachment. The mind doesn't know in this way. It's just avoiding these kilesas. It's avoiding these sense impressions. So next we come to train the mind so that wisdom can arise, so it can be imbued with discernment. We train it to see uh, inconstancy or instability, the stress and not self. And we try to bring up this, these perceptions and see in this light very frequently, do this constantly. And do we see old people? Do we see people in pain, people who are sick? Have we seen any dead person before? And when we do see these sights, we should bring this back into ourselves, telling ourselves that I too need to get old. I need to fall ill and die like this, that I can't escape from these things. Because I have old age, sickness and death is something that's normal for me. I just like how we chant, but we should chant and we should contemplate that as well. But when these things actually arise for us, when the body really gets sick, when it gets old, when we're close to death, then that can be another thing entirely. And will we actually be able to understand what's going on at that point? And so our body does need to become like this in one day in the future. And we don't know when that will be. And perhaps one day we hear that we are news, that we've got stage four cancer and it's already spread around our bodies and we're close to death. And maybe at that point we'll be able to see the nature of this body clearly. But for practitioners, though, you should be able to accept this truth upon hearing this news uh, faster than the average person. But it still usually takes some time to be able to accept this. Maybe it takes a few days, maybe a few weeks, maybe even a few months to be able to accept that. And before we can, then we can feel quite sad, quite upset, disappointed. And it can take many days or months to be able to come to a state of acceptance. We were able to contemplate this and really understand it for what it is. And so we should try to do this frequently. And if our minds are imbued with samadhi, if they're stable and collected, then we'll understand this nature easier. And so may all of you really be intent with this life that you have right now. 
and because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But whatever does happen, may you really set your hearts on accepting whatever that is. Whatever comes up, we must accept it. And tell ourselves that we've reached the time for this to happen to us. It's appropriate for it to come to us at this time. And we don't know when it's going to come. And there was one time that um, I was quite attached and I got tripped up in this way. That one of my teachers, one of these great monks, he told me that he would die at the age of 80. And I believed him. But then when I was just 75 years old, he got a very severe illness. And I asked, well, I thought you said you were going to stay on until 80. And he told me, well, I am 80 already. Which meant that he was 80 in terms of the causes and conditions, and that now it was the right time for the sickness to arrive. But he had accepted that already. He had already contemplated into the body, seeing it as just elements, seeing it as something empty. And his mind was imbued with only the Dhamma. So may all of you think in this way, that perhaps these lives of ours, they won't last long. Maybe they won't even make it till the end of this day. Maybe it'll just be tomorrow. Maybe the day after tomorrow. But they may not last long at all. And the fact that we have survived until this present moment shows that we're already very lucky. And we just don't know what's going to happen next. That's not sure. And there are some people who die at a very young age. This does happen. Some people at the age of 35, they pass away. And some people make it to over 90. They're also these people as well. But the body, it follows its causes and conditions. And if we live for a long time, then what that shows us is that we have a lot of spiritual maturity, a lot of these virtues. We've made a lot of merit. But for those people who have harmed the lives of other beings in the past, they've cut down the lives of others. What this has the effect um, of is cutting down our own lives. And so these people experience a lot of sickness, a lot of pain. But at the very least, we have lived until this present moment now. And so may you all use this present to study the Dhamma, to practice the Dhamma. Bringing joy into the mind, seeing arising and ceasing. And for someone who can see in this way for just one day and one night, that single day and night is, has more value than someone who lives uh, ordinarily for a hundred years because they've understood the Dhamma. And the amount of lives that they have left, the amount of times they have to get born and die, this is gradually, steadily reduced. And so the goal that we have is that we need to see the Dhamma. We need to understand the Dhamma. And what do we mean when we say that, seeing the Dhamma, what's that like? Do we see it with our physical eye? Do we see it within the scriptures? Because these are things that we know already. We've, we've read the scriptures already. But we also need to contemplate it as well. But usually this contemplation, it doesn't go in so deep. So what we need to do is we need to see the truth with our hearts. Just like one disciple of the Buddha, 
he was the foremost in, in the text, in textual knowledge. And uh, he was a very skilled teacher. He could give sermons very well, and he became quite famous. But the Buddha called him Venerable Empty Scripture. He was quite sad by this, that the Buddha called him this, because he thought he had so much knowledge already. But the Buddha called him Venerable Empty Scripture. So he went out to to study the Dhamma in his heart, but no one was willing to teach him because he was already quite old. He already had all this knowledge and they thought that he wouldn't follow what they said. So he kept looking for a teacher until he met with a novice who was an arahant. And the novice said that if you study with me, you have to follow everything I tell you. And so he accepted this condition. So the novice went about destroying his conceit and told him to put on all his robes and then walk into a pond. And he told him to carry on walking until the water was neck high. And he did this to, in order to allow him to abandon his conceit. And then he went about teaching this monk and gave the analogy that there's a termite mound and there's an animal within that mound, and you want to catch it. So there are six holes. So what you need to do is close off five of those holes and leave just one open. And when the animal leaves the termite mound, it'll have to come out through that hole, so you'll be able to catch it. And so it's the same that we have these six senses. We have the eyes, we have the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind. And so what we do is we close off five of them and we just leave our mind open. And we have mindfulness there right at the heart, right at the mind. So it shows that this monk, he had a lot of barami, that he was really firmly intent and his samadhi was very stable. He was able to look at just the mind itself. Because uh, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, and the body, these all gather together right at the mind. And he was able to see anatta, not self, clearly right there, and his mind gathered together. And he attained to arahantship. So that shows that his samadhi was already full. And is it possible for us to practice in this way, to just be looking at the mind? Well, it is. Uh, but we also need to be developing samadhi as well to be chanting, to be meditating, to be practicing, to bring about peace in our hearts. And so the way we can do this is, um, one way is through recollecting death. And we see people around us dying, and then we bring this back into ourselves, that I must die for sure, and life is not sure. And this can bring about stillness and peace within the heart. And so some people can do this uh, through contemplating the elements, through contemplating the body, and seeing that the body isn't beautiful, for instance, seeing there's something inconstant, something unstable, and then the mind settles down into peace through this. When it comes into peace, then it also comes into samadhi as well. And this is right samadhi, samma samadhi. And then when it's in the still state, it'll come out of it and start proliferating, start thinking. Perhaps we see someone who's died, 
and the mind is still, but then it starts thinking and starts telling us this is someone who's old or someone who's young. This is a male or this is a female. This is a police officer or this is a soldier. It starts telling us these things, but our mindfulness is on top of it. And it can gain a very deep knowledge here that really there's no one at all. There's no monk, there's no novice, there's no bhikkhuni. And uh, it gains this knowledge because it has that power of stillness, and then it can know things as they're happening. So this knowledge gives rise to wisdom. We do this through contemplating into anicca, dukkha, anatta. But really there's no one there. It's just anicca, dukkha, anatta. And so the knowledge that comes up can be very clear, and the mind can become very bright through seeing the Dhamma in a very deep and profound way. When we've seen like this already, then we see that people are just that. That there really isn't a person there. There isn't an animal, there isn't a being, there's no me, there's no them. It's just elements following nature. Just like how there's a car and there's also a driver of that car. And those two things are different, they're separate. And so the body and the mind, they're two different and separate things. And they just are as they are. So when we see the Dhamma in this way, this means that wisdom has arisen. We gain this knowledge that allows us to put down our clinging and our attachments. At the beginning, however, it can be quite difficult. But these forms, these sounds and tastes, odors, tactile sensations, they're not actually able to affect our hearts if we have wisdom, if we're looking after our hearts well. But if our mindfulness is weak, however, if our samadhi isn't stable, then wisdom can't arise. Or maybe it just comes up just a little bit, but it's not enough to be able to deal with these things. So what we have to do is to endure with them, bear with them. And we know that this path of not getting into liking or disliking, this will bring us to knowledge. So we should put our efforts into walking this path. Just carry on walking and don't stop until we gain understanding. So we should take this sila, virtue, as our foundation, being uh, restrained and collected within our actions of body and speech. To speak just a little bit, eat and sleep just a little bit, and chant a lot, be very, very mindful. And by being very mindful, we're staying right close to the Buddha. So we should practice in this way. And um, don't place too much emphasis or have much belief in external things. Because if we do, then our minds will just go and latch on to those things. So it's better to keep them inside, to keep them watching internally. We shouldn't blame things outside of ourselves, but rather look at the mind. And see, the reason it suffers is because our minds go and attach. It's better to look in this way, to not be so concerned whether people praise us or they abuse us, whether they scold us, tell us off, but to be looking with that our own hearts, to be focusing right here. 
So when we have mindfulness, then this will take care of the mind. And if uh, we don't have mindfulness there looking after the mind, developing the mind, then it always just stays the same as it always has been. And then our minds don't have anything to rely upon. They don't have a refuge. They're like someone who's destitute, who is homeless, who has no one to take care of them. So I ask for you to really give this opportunity, um, that you have this very good opportunity, the best go. And for monks, it's really important to do this because this opportunity is so good. Whether we are living in Thailand or overseas, um, then um, we have these lay people who have faith and who are supporting us through giving the four requisites. Whether we're in Thailand or India, Sri Lanka, Australia, Norway, other countries in Europe or countries in America, um, there are these people who have faith, who give their support. And so having received the support, we need to get down to our work, which is meditation. This is the most fundamental work of a monk. For the laity, you need to go and find these four requisites, but should still be intent on this practice as well. Because maga and pala, the path and the fruits, they aren't exclusively for monastics. It's lay people who are able to attain these as well. You're able to bring your mind to peace, to be contemplating the body, to see it as anatta. It's possible to do this. In the beginning, it's quite tough. There can be many doubts, quite a lot of confusion. And it's when the mind isn't peaceful, this is when doubts will really come up. But we should just put our efforts into training. So we contemplate um, these four elements and see that that's what this body is comprised of. When our mind gains knowledge of this, then it enters into emptiness. And we can also call this nibbana. It's right to phrase it in that way. It's like a small nibbana. As we carry on bringing our mind into the state, then it grows brighter and brighter. It grows more and more pure. And then when we see and understand the Dhamma, um, then it gains this full purity. But in the beginning, however, it's quite tough. So we need to bring up our powers of endurance first. And just carry on going until we do see the Dhamma. And it's possible for us to do this. And so may all of you practice. As the Buddha, he's pointed out the way already. This path to purity and to freedom. So may all of you set your hearts on this, to attaining to the Dhamma, to seeing the Dhamma, to abandoning your attachments, abandoning the sense of self. Having mindfulness here, looking over the body, um, seeing it as just that, as just a body. And by doing this, um, then well, this is what it takes for us to attain to Maga, Pala and Nibbana, to the path, the fruits and Nibbana. <laughs>